turn with me in God's holy word to John chapter 3 once more. And this evening we're going to be looking at one verse from John chapter 3. And it is verse number 16. John chapter 3, the gospel of John. And verse number 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen. And our title for this evening's message is this, God's love. God's love. This text, John 3.16, is probably one of the most well-known portions of the Bible. If you went around and asked people in the streets and people in the wider church and perhaps nominal Christians and other people, this is the one verse that they're probably going to know. It's probably maybe one of the first verses that you memorized as a young believer in Jesus Christ. However, it is well known, it is so often quite frequently misunderstood and misused. I think it's probably one of the most misused texts in the Bible today. Often people quote it as if they don't need to explain it or anything. Here it is. It's so obvious. And it's often used in this way. Well... God so loved the world, he loved them so much, that man has the ability to turn to God. A lot of other texts of scripture that we will know of that speak of man's enslavement to his own sin and his own sin nature are cast aside. It's often presented in such a way that puts salvation in the hands of men rather than in the hands of God. But this text is far more glorious than that, far more special than that. It is a wonderful text, one we should not lose even though it may be misused and misapplied. One we should slow down and marvel at as we read through our, our Bibles and see it. For God so loved the world. It is a special text. It is part of the word of God. It speaks of God's love for the world. It, is, it speaks of something that is to be shared and expressed and told to others. When we share the gospel. And as we share that text, remembering that salvation is of the Lord. And it is a love undeserved. It is a love that cost. It is a love more wonderful than any of the distortions that we hear of it in the world. The depths of God's love we're going to look at here this evening. That God showed the depths of his love in sending his only begotten son. A son whom he shared an eternal and continues to share an eternal relationship with. Only begotten, eternally begotten of the Father. 
And it is so, such a demonstration of love, it is undeniable. And it is a love that goes beyond the walls of even Israel, as we see it in this text, but also beyond the walls of the professing church, because God has his people, does he not? Those elect people out there who have yet to hear the truth and have yet to come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. So it is, it is wonderful that we learn of God's love. So the first point that we're going to look at here this evening, God's love, the first point is its design. Its design. God's love here is seen in a divine, eternal plan. The first part of verse 16, again, for God so loved the world, or another way you could say is for God in this manner so loved the world, what did he do? That he sent his only begotten son. God's love. But God is love. God is infinite love. God is infinite wisdom. God is infinite truth. God is infinite power. God is infinite glory. And so his love is part of a divine, wise, and holy plan. Going right back to before the very foundation of the world itself. Before the world was even spoken into existence. There's a design, there's an order to all this. And, and as we look at this verse, does the world deserve this love? It's undeserved love, isn't it? Because this world has fallen in Adam. In Adam all die. So the son was sent to die for believers. That is by design. There's no accident here. There is no plan B. This is all by the sovereign Control of God. We often have situations in our own lives. We plan things and things happen. And before you know it, we have to tear up the old plan and start again from scratch. And sometimes we imagine God and his love is reacting. He's never reacting to things. We react to situations. We go to plan B, plan C, plan D, but not God. This is all the sovereign control of God. He is sent to die for this group of people. Whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's a glorious love. And its intent, its intent is towards a specific people. Whoever believes. Whoever believes, whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Or you could even say, those believing in him should not perish. It's those who would believe in him. I guess I'm pointing this out, that we look at that this is not a love that is identical for every single person in the world. Because there'd be nothing comforting about that, would there? There are many, many people who are today in hell. 
who are experiencing God's hatred against sin and the sinner. So what is the context of John chapter 3? Once we get to John chapter 3 and verse 16, this is in the middle of a conversation that's taken between taking place between Nicodemus, a Jewish ruler, and Jesus. In verse 1 of our of this chapter, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. So Nicodemus is an important man. And verse 10 tells us, tells us something else about this. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? And he's speaking of the need to be born again. To be born from on high. To be born from heaven. To have spiritual life. Now at first he's speaking about the nation of Israel. He's speaking about the Jews. Are you a leader of the Jews and you don't know these things? These very important things that yes have been taught in the law and the prophets. There's lots of references to for example in Ezekiel. To washing regeneration and things like that. He should have known these things. And the way they would have thought about it is God's love is clearly for this nation of the Jews. But every other, the Gentiles, well, they will be destroyed. And the kingdom will be restored. But what did they fail to see in that day? What did many of the Jewish leaders fail to see in the first century? That it wasn't just those people out there, unbelievers, who would perish. It was also those within the visible church of that day who would also perish. God's love was not limited to the borders of Israel. Put it another way. It went beyond the borders of Israel. He, he speaks here, verse 14 and 15 of Moses. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Verse 15, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But it doesn't just limit it to the nation. For God so loved the world. His love goes beyond what they were perceiving to see. Put it another way, it doesn't matter your background. The question is, do you believe? Do you Believe It is believers whom this is intended to say. Do you believe? See, you maybe think, well, they couldn't have possibly thought that their background and their blood would have saved them. Well, they did. Many of them thought that. As long as I live a pretty, pretty clean life. Say all the right things. I'll be okay. Nothing too scandalous. But it's for believers in Jesus Christ. This love goes beyond the borders of Israel. That's the idea of the world. The world here is not speaking about every single individual. Jesus Christ did not come to die for every single individual that ever lived. That wouldn't be comforting at all. Because many people are in hell today. Whosoever believeth in him. That's the intent. That is the wise plan of God. 
in John 1 and verse 11. John 1 and verse 11, it says this, He came unto his own, that is Jesus Christ, and his own, that is his people, received him not. For God so loved the world, not just limited to any one place, but God so loved the world. He loved not just people with this background, but poor backgrounds, rich backgrounds, educated, uneducated, whatever the case may be. And none of us deserve this love. In Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 22. Who is included? Both Jew and Gentile. And that was a very, very difficult thing for them to wrap their minds around at that time. In Adam all die, it included the Jews. It included the religious. And it may seem strange to you, but there are many religious churches. They've had generation after generation going back. Hundreds of years maybe, even in their families, everybody's been a Christian. And they think they're okay. And I've met people like that. And the Jews had the same problem. But the sin of Adam affected them all. They were all sinners. And they all needed salvation. And the intent was toward the saving of all those who would believe. This was not plan B. This was God's glorious plan. And if we also look at this wonderful design of God. For God so loved the world. Look at the value he places. For God so loved the world. For God in this manner loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. As often said. How much do you value something? Is how much you will give toward it. How much will you spend on something? Uh, recently, we, uh, we have some car problems and we got one quote, it was about 2,000 pounds, and said, mm, car's not worth that. I'm going to try and go for a cheaper option because it's not worth it. But if somebody is sick in your family, and it costs a couple of thousand, say 10,000 or whatever, and you love that person, and you have it, take it. Because what you will give for that is how much you value it. But look with how much this love is expressed here. He gave his only begotten son infinite worth, infinite value. That's the love of God. That is the intent, that is the design, that is God showing his love, his infinite love in sending his only begotten son. What he was willing to pay. It's an important phrase here. It says the, his only begotten son. This is a relationship, an eternal relationship between the father and the son. 
an unchanging relationship in with creatures you have fathers begetting sons but this is different this is an eternal begetting between the father and the son do we completely understand it no of course not it's the trinity but there's this eternal begetting between the father and the son so much so that the father is god and the son is god full of grace and truth and here is the one whom he sends this is the manner of his love this is the manner of the expression of his love and friends it is to leave us in awe that we are amazed at the love of god how he demonstrated his love in whom he sent the father sent the son we ought to pause and to slow down and to meditate and to think about these things because we hear this verse so often don't we and we've heard it so many times and we just will rattle it off and, and we forget the depth of the meaning and the expression of this love and it is something that ought to stir up our hearts to be in awe and to worship him so it's design it's design number 2 now god's love it's delight it's delight what kind of love is spoken about here what kind of love is spoken about here the puritans would have spoken about different types of love and there was one specific type of love that they spoke about they would call it the love of complacency or another way to put it is god's well pleasing love something that is a delight unto him there's also other types of love now there is a type of love that god has for all those who are still upon the face of the earth they're still alive they may be unbelievers but they have the blessing of rain and sunshine and other wonderful things in this world. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. That ye may be the children of your father which is in heaven for he maketh his son that's s u n to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust so the idea here is a type of love a benevolent love a beneficent love a, a love which blesses and seeks to provide the needs of others it is a love which is goodwill kindness charitableness between expressed on the just and on the unjust is this verse john 3:16 for god so loved the world is this speaking of this type of love god has shown us all kindness and i can know that because we're all here we all have the health 
to be able to travel here. We've all blessings. Yes, I'm sure you all have difficulties and trials and, and challenges. Some health, some, some mental ones, other things. All sorts of difficult challenges you all face. But God has shown you all kindness. Even if you're not a believer. He continues to provide life. And one day that will be cut off. One day that type of love will be cut off. In hell. For the unbeliever. But there is a type of love here. That is unending. A love which is expressed before the foundation of the world. A love that is an electing and choosing love. The father choosing his people before the foundation of the world. In his son. It's even a blessing. That many unbelievers expressed even hear the word of God. Even though many reject it. One example is Judas. Judas sat under the preaching of the word of God under the greatest preacher to ever walk upon the face of the earth. And how many sermons did he hear? How many sermons did he hear? How many pleadings did he hear? How many, ex how many illustrations and parables? And countless sermons. And was that not a kindness and a love expressed toward Judas? That he heard these things? Is there a certain sense in which God loves everyone? There is a certain sense in which that is true. But it can be very, very misleading to say that to someone in a gospel presentation. This love that God has for all that are still upon the face of the earth is not the love spoken about here in our verse. If, and brethren, think about this for a second. If this is the love that is spoken about here, it's not comforting. This is a very specific love. This is a love that sent his only begotten son. This is a love that speaks of whosoever believeth in him should not perish. And this is a certain type of love which leads to everlasting life. A very, very specific love. It's a love that, that delights and that love that delights in his people is also the same love that saves. And that's a, that's a love that should encourage every single believer. When you reach those valleys in your walk with the Lord, when you reach those difficult moments, you need verses like this to remind you of the love of God and how much he cares for you. A believer. This is incredibly comforting only to the believer. It cannot be understood to be comforting to the unbeliever. It cannot. The unbeliever, in verse 36 of this, faces the wrath of God. He that believeth on the Son, verse 36, hath eternal, had everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but what shall he see? But the wrath of God abideth on him. Not a well-pleasing love. Detesting. 
Something that is a stench before the throne room of God, which is wrath, the wrath of God. Something that is not well-pleasing before God, something that God rejects. God so loved the world. God found delight. Now, our works are not enough. Our works are not enough. God the Father spoke of God the Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That well pleasing aroma before the throne room of God. And it's because of that aroma before the throne room of God. We as believers in Jesus Christ. Because of that love will not perish. But have everlasting Life. That is the love that God sets upon his people. It's an undeserving love. And it's a delighting love. And how much I wish I learned about this earlier in my walk. But I remember it is such a difference. If you realize that God doesn't put up with us because of Jesus. He delights in us in Christ. Do you see the difference? Do you ever have that family member, you love them, but you kind of put up with them. But then there's that person, you see them, you're so happy. Do you see the difference? When you're really delighted. And it's not because we're good, we're not. We don't deserve this. But this delighting love we have from God because of Jesus Christ. Because of what he has done Because of his wrath-bearing sacrifice. Because his blood washes us free from all sin. And because his perfect righteousness clothes us. This is why it's a delighting love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth, a very specific group of people, in him, in him, should not perish. This brings us to our third point. It's denial. God's love, it's denial. Now we ask the question, when we look at John 3.16, does everyone believe in God? As many people have heard John 3.16, may even quote it, may even like it, clearly, or think they like it, don't believe the love of God. They reject The loving invitation of God. I pray, dear friend, that is not any of you here this evening. Jesus died for criminals. Not for good people. He died for criminals and lawbreakers and sinners like you and I. That's what's so special about the love of God. But when a sinner says no... That is a rejection, a front, and a denial of the, lo- of the love of God. I remember when I first came to know the Lord, this was back in 2009, I remember thinking, this is so amazing. The love of God. People, people will love to hear this. Surely religious people will love to hear this. 
happened. I remember running home after coming to church for the first time and being so excited to talk to believers who, who believe the same thing I did. They love Jesus and they, they wanted to follow him. And then you speak to different people. I remember speaking to my parents, Roman Catholics, and I thought, oh, they'll be interested in this. This is amazing. This is wonderful. This is the love of God. Look what his son has done for us. And then you discover people are not interested. What's going on here? How come? Look at, for God so loved the world. We look to him, we're, we're rescued. Why would people reject that? Friends, it's not that I want to dampen anyone's evangelistic zeal, but no one seeks after God. Psalm 14 tells us that. It's our nature. By nature, we reject God's love. We reject God's loving invitation. That's our nature. And it's by grace and by grace alone that we embrace it and love and appreciate him and worship him and come to him in awe. See, friends, if we're here this evening as believers in Jesus Christ, it's not because, yeah, we, we put in the hard work and we figured it out. God had pity upon us so that we received his loving invitation to come to know him. And Jesus even tells Nicodemus in the midst of this conversation, marvel not, this is verse 7, that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. Or put it another way, it is necessary for you to be born on high or you will not receive these things. Because without the birth from heaven, without the birth from above, you will be just like anyone else. You will be like, just like the Gentiles. You will have a heart of stone rather than a heart of flesh that will receive these things. You see, friends, it should give us a sense of how special it is that the Lord took pity upon us that we believe. It's not because we're better than anyone else. Far from it. We've been the recipients. We've received Grace, we take one example. John, or sorry, uh, Paul, the apostle, or Saul. Once he persecuted the church, very zealous against that. He's on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. And what, does, what happens? He has an encounter with the Lord that changes him. If we turn to Acts chapter 9. And verse 4 to 6, Acts chapter 9. And verses 4 down to verse number 6. And he fell to the, to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling, astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and shall be told thee what thou must do. Do you see the change? He goes from thinking that following Jesus Christ is an absurdity 
to saying these words, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? You see this great contrast between Paul is at one moment walking on this wide road that leadeth to destruction. And his religious zeal to wipe out the church. Now he's saying, what would thou have me to do? And that is, that's the major change. From going from unbelief to belief. What will you have me to do? Lord, what will you have me to do? God, what would you have me to do? That is the, the attitude of belief. That is the attitude of someone who trusts and sees the love of God. And appreciates the love of God. Now you may be looking at all this and I'm pointing out and thinking, well, I cannot believe I'm a slave to my sin. What can I do? Friends, would you ever want to go before a judge and use the defense before that judge? I am judge, I am so wicked. I couldn't help it. I'm so wicked. I'm a slave to my lusts and my appetites. Please let me off. That would be the greatest defense that could be offered. So many people argue in such a way. But if we believe, we're no longer, by nature, we deny and reject God's love. We don't appreciate it. We shut our eyes to it. Now we could also say here at this moment, God could not love me as sinner. I deserve hell. You're, you're so focused on yourself and you're looking within yourself and you think, God, the things I've done, the things I've thought, the things that even my best friend, if they figured out that I've done, they would run away from me. Friends, none of us deserve this love. There's none. Not one of us. All of us deserve hell. And friend, don't think that it's somehow right to stay away from the Lord. It is your duty to come. It is your duty to come. If you haven't already this evening and come and trust in him. If you haven't already. As James Buchanan said, there is no room for hesitation or delay. He has spoken graciously to me. He has invited me to draw nigh. He has commanded me to seek his face. He has charged me at the peril of condemnation to betake myself to Christ as my Savior. And I will venture, Lord, I believe. Help thou my unbelief. See, the sinner outside of Christ, it is your duty to come. It is your duty to embrace him. It is your duty to cease to deny the love of God and to embrace him and take him as your savior and as your Lord and as your king. Our final point is number four. God's love, it's deliverance. It's deliverance. This specific love of God that we speak of here this evening, for God so loved the world, it delivers every single believer. And we will go through trial, and we will go through valleys where we wonder, 
do I really believe? And some of that, much of that can be the devil. Temptations. Hurling accusations. Bringing back up things that we've done in the past. And this is not to excuse sin at all. But we go to the Lord for forgiveness. Our faith is never strong enough. Our faith is weak at times. It is pitiful at times. But the question is, do we have faith and faith alone? But this is, it's the love of God that will deliver us. Not the strength of our faith. And if the love of God has been poured out upon you, dear friend, and you have been changed and you love him, of course, imperfectly, it will deliver you. It's the love of God that delivers us. It is the love of God that will bring us into everlasting life. The love of God will keep us close to him. And we have only but tasted and seen that the Lord is good in this world. And will be far more in the world to come. Psalm 34 and verse 8. Psalm 34 and verse number 8. Says this, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. We have but tasted the deliverance in this world. And it is like so small in comparison to the fullness to come. We currently, and I think we often don't realize this, we live in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. This is what God has purchased for us. What what has been done on our behalf. Ephesians chapter 2. And verses 4 to 6. It says. But God who is rich in mercy. For his great love. Wherewith he loved us. Who is the us he's speaking of? A specific people. That we're dead in trespass and sins, but now are alive. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, that is made alive, together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That is a current reality. We are in Christ. We share that special bond with Christ. Yes, there's, there's better to come. Of course there is. We have heaven to look forward to. We have the new heavens and the new earth to look forward to. We have the resurrection and the redemption of the body to look forward to. We have all these things to look forward to. But as things currently stand, dear believer, because of the love of God, because of its deliverance, you currently sit. In heavenly places. That's where our home is. That's where our heart is. That's why we don't feel comfortable in this world. That's why we struggle in our places of work. That's why we struggle with maybe past friends. And we don't seem to share 
the same interests anymore because your mind is in heaven and their mind can only think about this world. It's a wonderful thing to be delivered from this present world because this world is so full of disappointments, pains, afflictions, disappointments. Delivered from all that this world offers, the limited enjoyment that it gives for a brief moment and season, we have something far greater because of his infinite love and the love that he has expressed. And it's for whosoever believeth, those who believe. And I think we ought to look forward to that time. Revelation 7 and verses 13 and 14. Revelation chapter 7 and verses 13 and verse number 14. And one of the elders answered, saying unto me, What are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? Verse number 14. And I said unto him, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of great tribulation. Great tribulation. And have washed the robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Everyone will suffer in this world, some more, some less. But will one day be delivered fully and finally. There's a deliverance which we do not yet have in its fullness. For example, we're still in the presence of sin. And we will be delivered from that. We suffer in the presence of sin. When we see other people sin and blaspheme the Lord's name. And it, it hurts us to hear it. You know, when you hear people using the Lord's name in vain and it offends you. There'll be one day you will be completely delivered from ever hearing anyone ever blaspheme the Lord again. Won't that be wonderful? Fully and completely. Because dear friends, God's love is wise and it is powerful and it is glorious. It is not weak waiting for sinful men who are slaves of their own sin to act. It is powerful, it is glorious, and it is so important to our proclamation of the gospel. This is the love. This is the powerful, glorious, beautiful love we ought to share with all we come in contact with. This is the love that God loves with a delighting love for every believer in Jesus Christ. Again, we do not deserve this. We are so blessed. And what we say to people we meet who do not know this love, we say to them, come. Come learn of the Savior's love. Come learn of its depths. Come learn of its beauty. Come learn of its holiness. Come learn of how much we don't deserve it. Come learn of how we will be in all of this for all eternity. And we will gaze upon it. 
and never grow weary of beholding the glory of God and the face of Jesus Christ. Let us praise his glorious name. Amen.